Welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. Four round of 16 games are in the books, four still to go. We are here to dissect those four that have already happened for you. I am John Block, joined as always by Jorge Deneve. Well, I'm excited for two of these, not so much the other two. Yeah, we got one day of good games, one day of not so good games. We'll start with the good, only if because those were first chronologically. Uh, we had the first round of 16 game, France 4, Argentina 3. Seven goals in that game, definitely very exciting. Just to recap the scoring for you, because there was a lot. Griezmann scored a penalty early in the game that Kylian Mbappe won. Then Angel Di Maria equalized for Argentina with a really nice outside-of-the-box shot. Then early in the second half, Argentina took the lead through a sort of fluky Mercado goal that's Argentina's right back. Messi took a shot, and it, it deflected off of him and into the net. I think Harry Kane's hat-trick goal, and that's what you got. Pretty much. Then Pavard, the right-back for France, scored a goal that some people are saying is better than Nacho's goal. It was very similar. I think we would probably both say it was not quite as good. To tie it up, then 2-2, Kylian Mbappe, after winning the penalty for France's first goal, Scores twice in the span of, of five minutes to really make a name for himself, win man of the match pretty easily, and give France a 4-2 lead. And then, finally, late in the game, uh, Messi put in a pretty nice cross for Aguero, who headed it into the back of the net to make it 4-3, and then Argentina could not score. That was in the 93rd minute, so they really didn't have much time after that anyway. Takeaways from this game for you, Jorge. Well, for me is... Both of these back lines are bad because in the group stages, these teams scored three goals apiece. So both of them at least doubled their goal tallies. And I think the most indicative of this poor defending was Angel Di Maria's goal because it comes off a throw-in. Di Maria standing 25 yards away at the top of the box, and no one from France steps to him, so he can kind of look up, pick a spot, and curl it in there. He had about five seconds. And I think the defending was very, very similar through the whole game. Um, that was takeaway number one. Number two, if you get Kylian Mbappe sprinting at you, you're done for. You're not going to stop him. He won a penalty and, and scored twice. So people that aren't watching the French League, which I got to say is probably a lot of people, found out who this kid really is on the world stage. Yeah, he, he's definitely been hyped up for, I would say, you know, a year and a half now since he really broke out last season, or I guess two seasons ago in the Champions League for Monaco. But, yeah, it's, it's tough to see him regularly if, if you don't watch PSG in Ligue 1, which, again, yeah, you're right, most people don't. But, I mean, he, he certainly lived up to the hype in this game. I think he, they're talking about all these, like, comparisons to Pele now as, like, the youngest player to score a brace in the World Cup and, and who knows what else. So, I mean, if anytime you're getting compared where it's you and Pele, you're in pretty good company. But for all the praise you can give to Kylian Mbappe, I think... The, the highest criticism of this game is, is criticism that we've already been giving out, and that's to Argentina for their tactics and squad selection. Yeah, I mean, my issue is less the squad selection. I mean, you're trying to score. Nothing's really worked. Messi is a false nine. Fine. But then when you bring on subs, one, you waste on a center back, which is nonsensical to me. I don't care if you're worried about suspensions or if a guy's already on a yellow. Never bring on a cold center back. Two... He brought on Enrique Mesa instead of either 
Iguain or Dybala when they needed to score after Meza was just terrible against Nigeria. So I don't get what Sampaoli was doing. I think I tweeted he has to have gone out with Maradona because it seemed like the substitutions of a drunk man that wasn't using his brain. Yeah, I mean, I would say I, I doubt Messi is a false sign a little more. I, I get that they're trying to experiment, but I mean, it clearly didn't work at all. They, they, it seemed like they were trying to kind of get him to draw France's defense out of shape. And I mean, there are definitely issues with France's defense, as you pointed out a bit ago, but that clearly wasn't working with them. And so really what ended up happening was, you know, they get wide and, you know, Di Maria or Pavon on the right would, you know, cross a ball into absolutely no one in the box or, or not cross them because there was no one in the box. So I think just tactically that didn't work and they didn't, they at least didn't utilize Messi as a false nine in an effective way whatsoever. No, it was bad. I, I think it just continues to show how clueless Sampaoli is somehow. And I think he's, he's being exposed for that because for whatever reason, his system worked with the Chilean players. They bought in. They enjoyed it. And he's failed at two places since, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was out as Argentina manager pretty quick. I mean, there are already reports that he, he basically lost the locker room and wasn't even making you know, the squad selection for that France game. I don't know that I totally buy into that, but there's definitely something there as far as him not being good for the Argentina team. Yeah, I mean, Messi likes Aguero. I don't completely buy that he wasn't making the decisions. I think Messi has been very vocal and maybe wanting Aguero to come join him at Barca. So I don't buy that. If Messi was truly making the decisions, he would have put Aguero in. And I think he probably would have put Dybala in at some point when he was getting desperate. He played 22 minutes the whole tournament, and this is... 22 minutes out of 360. Yeah. Unacceptable. And then let's not talk about Cardi at home either, because just for whatever reason, Serie A players, Iguain, Dybala, Icardi got left at home, just weren't used. I don't, I don't know what Sampoli has against them. That being said, I, you know, France, you know, deserving victory for them, I would say. But at the same time, you know, this was definitely the most exciting game of the four that have happened in the past couple of days. You know, and Uruguay-Portugal being second, those are on the, the quote-unquote more difficult side of the bracket. But it's not like France or Argentina looked especially amazing. You know, France, like we've said multiple times now, had defensive vulnerabilities. If you give up, two, if you give up three goals to an Argentina team playing as badly as this Argentina team has been playing, I mean, there's definitely a lot that is suspect. Exactly. Um, and for me, with France, if you can take away Mbappe running north-south, they're distinctly average because I don't think they really had any sort of danger beyond that. No, I mean, Griezmann didn't look particularly impressive to me in that game. Giroud is Giroud. He's not going to be a difference maker as far as breaking teams down. You know, maybe he gets his head on the ball every once in a while. That, that makes a difference, but he's really not an electric player by any means. And, you know, I think Pogba looked good. Conte looked good. But those aren't necessarily the, the attacking players you need to, to break down teams if they decide, you know, oh, we're going to play against France, but by sitting back and being really compact or even just orga- more organized defensively than Argentina. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is with the just changing of tactics. But I think we've harped enough on Argentina and pretty much beaten them into submission. So now Uruguay beats Portugal 2 1. Um, both results went wrong for Ronaldo Messi quarterfinal, which is kind of sad. But for the scoring, Cavani had a brace. Pepe scored a header. 
But then Cavani went off injured. I mean, what did you see from this game? Yeah, Uruguay looked pretty good against a Portugal team that, that hasn't been amazing, but it hasn't been terrible either. Certainly not as bad as Argentina, I wouldn't say. You know, Cavani being injured, personally, I don't think that he'll be out for the quarterfinal game. They've got like five days in between games or something like that. And, you know, he walked off the field. It seemed like maybe a, a not too bad muscle injury in like his quad or something like that. Maybe his hammy. I think it seems like something where even if he's not 100%, he'll play. And I think, you know, as long as he's not super incapacitated by any means, he'll, he still should play. So that's not a huge concern for me personally. I think, you know, you saw Uruguay, they gave up a goal on a set piece with Pepe's header. So they're still perfect defensively as far as open play goes. And offensively, they didn't really have a lot going outside of Cavani and Suarez, but clearly that was enough against this, you know, a Portugal team with not a great defense, but, you know, they're playing France in the quarterfinals who have also had a suspect defense. So I I think if you've got Cavani and Suarez in there, that still should be enough. Yeah, I mean, I was I was about to call Cavani to win the golden boot after I saw the way he was playing because he was just spectacular. If you leave him open, he's going to score. It really comes down to that. And then Portugal just didn't create enough offensively. They played against Godin and Jimenez, who I think are the best center-back pairing. They have incredible chemistry. And I think you saw against Spain, Ronaldo could find space. And yesterday he just, you know, he couldn't find anything. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear that he was trying to do a lot by himself. And part of me wants to say, oh, that's not a good thing. He should have, you know, been more, tried, you know, some incisive passes to his teammates, you know, maybe get them open. But at the same time, really none of the Portuguese attackers outside of Ronaldo in this whole tournament showed a whole lot. I mean, Andre Silva was pretty bad. He got subbed on in this game somewhat late. Geddes looked terrible. I don't know how he got you know, two or three starts, whatever the number is, he really looked bad. Charisma got that one nice outside of the foot shot, which he's always good for. But I mean, outside of that, as a sub, he really didn't do a whole lot in this game. So I kind of don't blame Ronaldo for trying to do that much. But when you're the guy who has to do everything and you're up against Godin and Jimenez, it's going to be a really tough task no matter who you are. Yeah, I mean, he did his best. I think it's karma for keeping the goatee because it looks awful i just think it's karma for wearing white because they didn't need to wear white but like beyond the the silly things he he was about as desperate as messi got and i think he kind of saw this is my chance to get a leg up on messi and i think he took on a little too much pressure for himself because he's been better you know back to goal maybe trying to get a turn and a half chance and i think in a game when there's not enough enough happening you have to try that if there is one good thing about ronaldo going out it's that he'll finally shave that really horrible goatee he's been growing. It's pretty bad. It's like wispy, too. He can't grow facial hair. Nah. But uh, so we miss out on the Argentina Portugal Messi versus Ronaldo quarterfinal, but we do have a France Uruguay quarterfinal, which should hopefully provide some excitement. We'll preview that in our next episode. Until then, we've got two more games on the other side of the bracket to talk about for this episode. The first of those. A 1-1 Spain versus Russia game that Russia won 4-3 on penalties. Hey, what do you want me to say? Nothing happened. It, it was 
so horrible that I legitimately fell asleep from the start of the second half through the 75th minute. And like I was watching in Spanish. If anything exciting happened, they would have shouted. Literally nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, just the way this game went. When we talked about this game, previewing it, I said that you know Russia was going to sit back and defend and hope you know to either nick a goal or push it to penalties. They ended up doing both, and it would be you know up to Spain to get an early goal and make Russia open up. Spain got their early their early goal. They got their early goal through an, another another own goal, but they didn't push push on at all. They were so content to just pass it you know, along the back line and do nothing. And then you pointed out that, you know, Spain's defense has been suspect at times with, with PK and Ramos, and PK throws his hand up in the box and gives away a penalty, and then all of a sudden it's back to even, and, and Russia's defending, and Spain is struggling to break them down. Yeah, I, I think that we equated Spain and Barcelona for so long that we forget when Spain won the World Cup in 2010, they went through the tournament scoring eight goals total. They won every match 1-0. And it's just, it's not because they were defensive, it's just because they passed people to death. And this time they tried to do the same, except they do it when they're tied. I think if they had conceded first, they go on to win this game, because you saw it against Portugal. They conceded the early Ronaldo penalty, and there is a sense of urgency that they went for and just tried to break Portugal down. And that ended up being the, the match of the, of the tournament so far, and now both teams are out. Another little tidbit, De Gea faced seven shots on target. And conceded six. So I don't know what happened to him. And I think we've been asking this question the whole tournament. But he's looked awful. Yeah, he's definitely struggled a lot. It must be a thing with, with Spanish goalkeepers. You saw Casillas four years ago also really struggle when that was sort of the, the beginning of his big downturn in form, which ended up having him leave Real Madrid, I believe, at the end of the next season, the 2014-15 season. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we definitely saw that with De Gea. I mean, starting with the Ronaldo shot that hit right off his hands and went back into the into the net. I, I don't know what was going on with him, but, but he struggled at least as much as, you know, PK and, and Ramos making mistakes, if not more so. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Because with Casillas four years ago, he had been, I think, exclusively a goalkeeper in the Champions League. He wasn't playing regularly. He, he wasn't playing the league games. De Gea has played almost every game for United, so I don't understand where the lack of confidence came from. But it was there, and we saw it. He he couldn't make a save. It's bad that the most significant thing we can talk about is the new fourth sub rule, which you can do an extra time. And that's cool. Maybe it keeps people from pulling hamstrings. But I also think it's dumb because it didn't change the course of the game. It didn't change how the teams played. If anything, it's just an extra sub for managers to just kind of like bring some 40-year-old that's good at pens and can't run and bring him on in the 119th minute. To an extent, I agree. I would also say that's always been a problem to, to an extent. You know, we saw four years ago, Louis Van Hall brought in Tim Krul to replace Jasper Silson so he could save penalties, which he actually ended up doing pretty well. So I, I would say I'm, I don't really have a huge problem with it. I, I agree that it can be used in ways that are sort of boring if not annoying but at the same time running around for 120 minutes has got to be exhausting especially in a world cup game where i mean i guess not every game but a lot of times you know both teams are really pushing for it at at certain times 
So I, I don't have a huge problem with it. I guess if you wanted to change it, maybe you say, oh, you have to make the change in the first half of extra time. So that way they actually have to play part of the game. It's not like, you know, 15 minutes is going to make a huge difference. But if someone's really that inept at playing in the field and is only there for penalties, that might dissuade a manager from doing that. So maybe that's a potential solution to your issue with it. Yeah. I mean, that being said, if Colombia does it, brings Thomas Rodriguez on to beat England on penalties, I'll laugh. I'll be okay with that situation. But now talking about the penalties, Koke and Iago Aspas shot down the middle. Really poor penalties from them. Just the perfect height to be saved. Really no direction on either. I don't know what they, what they were thinking. Obviously, I'm sure there's a ton going on in your head when you know, you're in a high-stress situation like that, shooting a penalty. And you know, I don't know that I could do better, certainly. But I feel like for players of such high quality, especially Iago Aspas, who I, I think more people are going to question being in, in those first five penalty takers for Spain, you got to do better than that. I mean, you also have to realize you're playing a short keeper. Like, Akinfeyev's not that tall. Shoot in the corner. He can't reach it. But, oh well. Final game. Croatia advanced 3-2 on penalties after a 1-1 draw with Denmark. But it looked like this would be exciting. Jorgensen scored in the first minute and Manzuga scored in the fourth minute. And I remember looking at that and thinking, at least one game will be exciting. What happened? Yeah, it certainly got a lot more boring after those first four minutes. I would say just based on the balance of the other game of the day, being Spain and Russia, which we just talked about, this one didn't bother me as much because it was at least slightly more exciting than that one. I think both teams, it, w- it was fairly balanced as far as both teams not really doing a whole lot. But you know there were, there were some chances, at least more than the Spain-Russia game, I thought. But, but yeah, both teams seemed pretty content to, to be compact defensively, which, which I guess follows through with what we've seen from them this tournament. Croatia you know, was able to score goals more. But, you know, they were still pretty compact and played, for the most part, lesser opposition or more struggling opposition. So I guess I'm not too surprised that it played out this way. I guess I would have liked a more exciting game, obviously. But just because it was slightly better than Spain-Russia, I didn't, it didn't bother me as much. Yeah, I mean, we had at least an exciting moment in extra time, the Modric penalty. And I'll explain why Jorgensen didn't see red. So, like, until a couple years ago, he would have. Because it was a denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, Rebic rounds Schmeichel, is about to tap into an empty net. And then Jorgensen comes in from behind, takes him down. But he made a legitimate play for the ball. And as of a couple years ago, I think FIFA wanted to try and avoid sending a player off and giving a penalty and giving a team, like, the double whammy, so to speak which is kind of dumb, but also kind of makes sense because occasionally those are tough. So since Jorgensen made a legitimate play to try and win the ball and actually touched the ball, it's still a foul because he went through the back of Rebic, but he, he got the ball. It was only a yellow because he actually tried. So like in the situation where you have Suarez on the line hitting the ball away against Ghana, that's still a red because it's not a legitimate attempt to try and play the ball cleanly. And it, it's just blatant, so they'd give the red. Wouldn't have mattered if Modric had scored. Uh, no one would have talked about it because it would have been like, okay, Modric scored. Uh, but he missed. Yeah, shot it low and to the right. 
Schmeichel dove that way, and credit to him, actually, didn't just parry the ball away, but grabbed and held on to it as well. It was an, an impressive save, even if Modric's penalty wasn't amazing. But, you know, with that, there was only three or so minutes left after that penalty. With the defensive style both teams were playing, there was no goal. So he went to penalties for the second time in the day. And the penalties in the Spain-Russia game were not great. Somehow the penalties in this game were even worse. I would say outside of Simon Kiar, who really blasted it into the top corner, that was a very good penalty, most of the penalties I saw were poor from both teams. I will say Eriksson's was good. Subasic makes a great save on that. Eriksson hit it low and hard. That's just a good save. The rest of the ones that were saved were pretty awful. They were keeper height. They weren't very much in the corner. They were easy to parry away. And if they went down the middle, they were hit with, you know, not, not enough power to really fool the keeper, and they're able to just kind of trail their legs behind and kick them away. Because if someone's going to hit it down the middle, you got to blast it, because if the goalie sees you're going to come up and blast it, you just got to sell out, because otherwise you're not reaching it. But I, I think Croatia probably deserved to go through, simply because they've been better this tournament. I think they're better in the game. But they tried to lose it with the penalties they took. Yeah, I, I agree. I think overall, if I had to pick a team, Croatia does go through. And I know both of us really thought well of Denmark coming into the tournament. I, I would say they didn't perform too badly. Obviously, they made it to the knockout round. But, you know, they they didn't really I- exceed expectations in the way that we thought that they might. Ericsson certainly didn't play super poorly, but didn't have an amazing tournament in the way we thought that he might. And I think Croatia have done very well and better than some people expected, at least, and deserve to be in the quarterfinals, where they'll face Russia, which is a very winnable game for them. Yeah, I just don't want to watch Russia for another game. Oh, God, no. If Russia wins, I'll buy that this tournament is fixed. I'll entertain those theories. If if they beat Croatia, it, it certainly depends. Because, I mean, I don't think there was anything too suspect going on in the Spain game. Spain just kind of lost that game for themselves. But at a certain point, Russia is just, they're not a very good team. And they play so negative and so defensively. They're not fun to watch. And I, I, I'm hoping that they do lose to Croatia. Yeah. Well, we'll be back on Wednesday. You can hear our thoughts on France-Uruguay and Russia-Croatia as well as our reviews of the other four quarterfinals. So goodbye. Thanks for listening. See ya.